Since July of 2013, I have preached 92 sermons on John, and now we're done. We're done with the book of John. And uh, I loved going through it. I learned a ton. I hope that you loved it. I hope you learned a ton. And throughout the, the book of John, we have heard one message over and over and over again, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe and have eternal life. I hope that each of you can confidently say, I believe in Jesus. I am alive in him, and I am living for him. If you can honestly say that, you're in the safest place. You're in the safest place, secure in the Father's love for you. Talking about belief in God is risky. Because belief, or you could say faith, is so often misunderstood by a lot of people. Oftentimes, belief or faith is reduced to intellectual agreement with facts about God. Faith becomes an exercise of the mind without the affections and the will, which is really a ruinous mistake. True faith is mind, affections, and will. It's also risky because some people misuse the doctrine of justification by faith alone to justify their sinful lifestyle. They want God's saving grace. Oh, that God saved me. Jesus is my Savior. They want that grace, but they don't want to let go of their sin. And they don't want to live for God. So, in their focus of sovereign grace, they lose focus on the necessity of good works that accompany sovereign grace. The grace that saves is the same grace that sanctifies. Did you know that the Bible talks about dead faith and alive faith? Some people believe and they say the right things, but they never live it. Their faith is dead, and dead faith doesn't save anybody. Others believe and say the right thing, and they live it. Their faith is alive, and God saves them through it. The key is, alive faith is active faith. Alive faith is active faith. You see it working inside of good works for the glory of God. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit does two things through this message. Number one comforts and encourage, encourages everyone with alive faith. Comforts and encourages everyone with alive faith. And number two, convicts and alive enlivens anyone with dead faith. We want our church to be alive, to be active, and we want it to achieve much for the glory of God. And that takes people with alive faith. So we preach and we teach to that end of alive faith. Now we're going to study a very tough passage of scripture this morning. James 2, 14 through 26. You need to keep your Bibles open. If you don't have your Bible open, get it open right now. 
you can get lost in a second in this sermon. Please keep your Bible open. Keep referring to the text. When I say verse 21, go to verse 21 and look at it. You got to do that for you to hang tough. One scholar said, quote, this paragraph is the most theologically significant as well as the most controversial in the letter of James. Great. And I'm choosing to preach on this. So this sermon is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for me because this passage is not easily to preach clearly. You can, anybody can preach it, I guess. But to do it clearly is very difficult. And I hope to be clear. And I hope to answer two questions from the text. Number one, what does dead faith look like? And number two, what does alive faith look like? Then I want to help you find the pulse of your faith and help you quicken its pace for God's glory and your joy. This is a deeply theological sermon. It's not easy to understand. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Think of it like this. A table saw is a very helpful tool that makes precise cuts. But if you misuse a table saw, you'll cut your fingers off. Like a table saw, James 2, 14 through 26 is powerful, it's precise, and if you misuse it, you will wound your faith deeply and add much burden and much guilt to your life. And worst case scenario, you'll make shipwreck of your life and faith. You need the Holy Spirit to help you understand this. Pastor Jonathan cannot make you understand this. God has to show up and do something inside of you for you to get it. It is really important. James, the stepbrother of Jesus Christ, wrote this letter to poor and oppressed Jewish Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He wrote to encourage them in their sufferings and in their conflict. Some of his audience was living just like the world, professing Christians living like everybody else. And uh, even though they profess faith in Christ, they tried to separate faith and works, to put a divide between the two. James called them double-minded, and he attacked their view, calling faith without works dead. He wrote to encourage them to be hearers of the word and to be doers of the word. So let's begin by looking at a few verses in James 1. And these earlier verses will act as a magnifying glass for the later verses of, of James 2. Okay? In James 1, verse 3, James mentioned the testing of their faith, which is a test that proves or disproves the genuineness of something, in this case, faith. That's important. In verses 3, and 12, James mentioned steadfastness. His idea was that trials test faith, and when faith endures through trials, faith is proven genuine and receives the crown of life. Therefore, any kind of faith that does not endure through trials is counterfeit faith and does not receive the crown of life. So right from the beginning of his book, James implies that there is an alive and enduring faith and there is a dead and short-lived faith. 
James 1, verse 22, is an essential verse to understand. James wrote this. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James mentioned deceiving yourselves because apparently there were people in these churches who thought that they were right with God by simply hearing his word and not doing his word. The kind of people that read their Bible, that listen to preaching, that attend Sunday school, but they don't ever seem to live it out. James described that as self-deceived faith or Dead faith. Hearing is very, very different than hearing and doing. All right, I read that from 1986 to 1996, Microsoft's stock just exploded. It grew like crazy, more than a hundredfold. Microsoft's explosive growth made millionaires of a bunch of employees who had accepted stock options as a primary way to receive payment from the company. There is a big difference between the people who heard about the opportunity to take stock options as compensation and the people who heard and actually took the stock options as payment. In fact, there's millions of dollars of difference. A live faith is more than hearing, it's hearing and doing. So, what does dead faith look like? Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, James was writing to professing Christians, to people in churches. He said, my brothers... And he brought up someone who says that they have faith. Someone who says that they're a Christian, but they don't actually have works to back up what they say. In other words, they don't obey God. They they don't do anything useful for God. They are spiritually idle. They hear, but they don't do. And James was asking his brothers rhetorical questions. What good is it? As in... It's not good at all to say you have faith and to not back it up with works. James was essentially making this point. The kind of faith that doesn't have works is of no advantage or profit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't end in anything profitable. Faith and works are inseparable. So the kind of faith not accompanied by good works is an impotent faith that cannot save. Notice James said, can that faith save him? As in a kind of faith that can't save him. A kind of faith that does not have works attached to it. We could call it an impotent or an ineffectual faith. And just to be clear, faith doesn't save anyone. God saves people through the means of faith. Romans 8.33 says, it is God who justifies, but God justifies people through the faith that he gives them, as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 point out. All right, so dead faith is like visiting a friend in their home and sitting in their living room in complete darkness, and you're kind of like, 
Mind if we turn on a few lights? Bit awkward. I can't see you. I'd like to be able to talk here. And your friend's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I have working lamps. So let me, let me turn them on. And they turn on the lamps, but nothing happens. The lamps don't give any light. The lamps don't work because the power's out in the house. Everything is dead. Now, you could sit around with your friend and argue whether he has lamps and whether his lamps work and actually give light. But until those lamps have power running through them and they actually give light, the lamps are useless. Useless. The power and grace of God must be active in faith for it to be alive faith or working faith. Otherwise, without the power and grace of God producing works through faith, the faith by itself is dead. You know the lamp works when the lamp gives light. You know the faith is alive when the faith works. James used a poignant illustration in verse 15. Check it out. It was a great illustration because his audience was poor and oppressed. His illustration was likely happening among the churches that he's writing to. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? Talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is, Christian. Verses 15 and 16 are connected to verse 14. Uh, James was talking about someone inside the church who says they have faith, but because they don't have works, it's not saving faith. They notice that one of their brothers or one of their sisters is lacking. That's church language, brothers and sisters, they're inadequately dressed, they're insufficiently fed, and instead of loving their brother and sister, they simply offer them platitudes and cliches. Go in peace. Be warmed. Be filled. God bless you. Shalom. It's like wishing them good favor, but you're not ready to give them the good favor. But words don't clothe people. Words don't fill people's stomachs. James asked, what good is a faith that talks but doesn't do anything? His answer, it's not good at all. It's not good at all. Christianity is more than God bless you. It's God's actually blessing others through you. So James drove the point home in verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, as in it's dead faith. Dead faith. Lots of religious people have dead faith. James isn't talking about the kind of faith that justifies and saves because that kind of faith always has works attached to it. James was talking about having a dead faith, the kind of faith that says it's alive, but it actually has no pulse, no heartbeat to it. Now, how can you tell someone is alive if they appear dead? And I looked this up on a thing called wikihow.com because wikihow tells you how to do all kinds of things and it even has these cute little pictures. And so I went on wikihow and this is what it said to do to test whether a person that you're coming up upon is alive or not. 
uh, call them by name, ask them if they're playing dead, poke them, check for a pulse, hold a mirror just under their nose or in front of their mouth for several minutes, that's clever, shine a flashlight in their eyes, and put something with a strong odor under their nose. Okay? Now, why do any of that stuff? You're looking for movement. You're looking for any action, any response, any flinch that will tell you that the person is alive. And if they don't respond at all, well, they might be dead. If you poke them and they get up and do a backflip, they might be alive. All right? So, James talked more about dead faith in verses 19 through 20. So jump down there for a moment. James was still talking about the person with dead faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James was talking to Jewish Christians who knew the great Shema very, very well. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4. It is good theology to believe that God is one, but without works to accompany that belief, that belief is dead in the person who knows that God is one. James called that orthodox theologian foolish, meaning they were empty of knowledge in the experience of a live faith. And he did so because even a faith that believes the right things, but that is not accompanied by good works, is useless or ineffective to save. Doctrine must always translate into works or else it's simply dead orthodoxy. Not only did James say in verse 17 that faith without works is dead, in verse 20 he said faith without works is useless. Some people have a dead and useless faith. Believing that God is one is essential. Believing right doctrine is essential. But, in, but if the belief in right doctrine doesn't lead to a lifestyle of obeying God, it's dead and useless. So we came through an entire series where the main overarching point of the entire book is for you to believe, to have faith in Christ, the Son of God, and the way to respond to that series, the way to respond to John is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to believe so deeply that you obey what Jesus commanded, all of it. Live to bless others in a way that displays the goodness of God and point others to Christ. In other words, God isn't interested in your religious busyness for the sake of busyness itself. But he is interested in you doing many meaningful acts of love and kindness that point people to God's goodness. So dead faith is inactive. It's workless faith. What does a live faith look like? A live faith is visibly active faith. Verse 18 is one of those verses that is, that is really hard to interpret. Uh, they didn't used to write with, uh, 
different like apostrophes and things that just kind of ran together. So you don't know exactly where the quotation starts, where it you know, ends and all of that. So this is tricky. James says, you have faith and I have works. And he's talking about this person presenting this idea of separating faith and works. So whoever is talking here and whoever they're talking to, they are disconnecting faith and works, creating two false categories saying that there are faith people and there are works people. And James sought to refute that that thinking, and he gave an airtight argument against it. Look at the text. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And I ask, how can someone show faith that is invisible and in the heart? How can you... Show faith without works when faith is invisible. And I think James's point was to say it's impossible to show faith apart from doing good works. The, the only way to display true saving faith is to obey God for the glory of God. And that's what James wrote next. I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my alive and saving faith when I do good and beneficial things for others in the name of Christ for the glory of God so that others can give glory to God. That's what James meant. Now, you might have a fragile heart. You might be a very spiritually sensitive person, okay? that struggles with the assurance of salvation, and you wonder if like, you're one of God's people, and you struggle with this often, okay? If that's you, okay, it would help you to look at two things in your life, your heart and your lifestyle. Your heart and your lifestyle. Do you want to obey God? And if your answer is, yes, I want to obey God, but pastor, I just fall short so much. I just fail all the time. Okay? God gave you that beautiful desire to want to serve him. That heart, if you're like, yeah, I I just want to, I just know, I just fall short. That heart is given to you by God. That's proof that God is working in your heart. But desire is not enough. God has graciously given you, dear Christian, something else in addition to the desire. Look at your lifestyle to see if God is producing from you good works that benefit others and point to God. Do you do Matthew 5, 16 types of things? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Look at the fruit the Spirit is producing in your life and allow that to reassure you, allow that to comfort you that God indeed is at work in you, that you have the faith because God gave it to you. God gave you the heart and God gave you the works to strengthen your confidence and assurance in him. Jim Elliot was speared to death by Waharani warriors in Ecuador because he loved God, he loved others, he wanted to serve God, and he was doing good works for God and the Waharani. That's alive faith. After the Waharani murdered her husband, Elizabeth Elliot walked back into the jungle to do 
to continue, maybe not back, maybe she just went into the jungle for the first time, to do good works to the Waharani to ultimately teach those people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tons of people got saved through that effort. That's alive faith. It's alive faith does something good for God and for others. Here's another example of alive faith. Ladies from Jerusalem Church heading into Lancaster to throw a baby shower and to share Christ with two refugee women. A few people from Jerusalem Church praying diligently for others and sending them a card with scripture to encourage their heart. A Sunday school teacher, a Bible to school volunteer devoting hours to preparing lessons so that children can see and savor the glory of Christ through scripture. A man from Jerusalem offering to do a Bible study with a co-worker. Elders having difficult Very hard conversations with people because they care about their souls. Alive faith isn't just in martyrs, people who give their life for Christ. Alive faith is in every single Christian working to glorify God. It's it's alive and it's well right here in Jerusalem church. So let me ask you a question. Can you see in each other a live faith at work? Oh, I see it. I see it. If you're having a hard time understanding me right now, and you're like, I was lost the moment you said 92 sermons in John. I just, I was lost. Let me encourage you to do this. For the next couple of weeks, study just four chapters of the Bible. And study them together. Write these down. Just four. Really work them over in your mind and your heart. Romans 3, Romans 4, Galatians 3, James 2. Romans 3 and 4, Galatians 3 and James 2. Compare them. Contrast them. Pray that God helps you understand them. And if you're diligent to study these passages and and to be ready to receive the message God has for you, I believe God will be faithful as the Spirit moves to help you understand what I'm talking about in case I've lost you. Do your own study. The Apostle Paul was right. We are justified by faith alone. James was right. We are justified by works and not by faith alone. How can they both be right? Does the Bible contradict itself? No, no. You need to study Paul and James to see that they use the words justified and faith differently. Paul, God counts us righteous only because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, which we receive by faith alone. We don't work to be justified or accepted by God. You cannot work your way into having God be okay with you. God justifies us through faith alone. James, But our faith is justified by our works and not by mere lip service. It's not the fact that you say it. It's the fact that you do it that validates your your faith. Our faith is vindicated by our works because faith without works is dead faith. Those are two different but equally true doctrines. Paul and James were on the same page. James wanted to show his readers an example, an illustration of what a live faith looks like practically, and so he turned to Abraham to illustrate it. Verses 21 through 23. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with, work, with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now, I might have lost you. Tune in. Here we go. Don't miss this. Stay with me on this point. This can really help you. Abraham first believed God years before Isaac was born. Read Genesis 15. That's a critical reference. Abraham was counted righteous by God. He was justified. He was saved by believing God, faith alone. And James affirmed that in verse 23. You can see it. So why did James say in verses 22 that Abraham was justified by works when he offered up Isaac. Well, here's why. He offered up Isaac later in Genesis 22. Years after he first believed, the act of offering up Isaac in Genesis 22 confirmed the faith that he had back in Genesis 15 prior to Isaac being born. In other words, Abraham showed himself to already be justified by faith alone and therefore righteous when he obeyed God and offered Isaac up. Slinging it out there. Listen to the sermon 12 more times. I don't know. Holy Spirit, move. Look at it from another angle. So let me try it another way. If in Genesis 22, Abraham had refused to offer Isaac up, wouldn't his faith in Genesis 15 be suspect? Hmm, I don't know if he really did actually believe God because he didn't actually obey God. Abraham's faith was performing when he raised the knife to kill his son. It was faith and works cooperating together. Wasn't it Abraham's faith that produced his obedience? Of course. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. The work of, oper- uh, of offering Isaac was done by faith because, as Hebrews eleven eighteen 18 says, Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham's alive faith produced obedience because that's what alive faith does. That's what saving faith does. It produces obedience. If you don't have the obedience, you don't have the alive faith. The alive faith. So the sense of James 1.21, take a look at it again, is, was not Abraham our father shown to be right by works? Shown to be right by works. Abraham's works proved that he was already justified by faith alone. That's what James meant by justified by works. And that's why James could rightly say, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Or you could say not by dead faith alone, which is a faith without obedience. The kind of faith that tons of people in churches across America have. And they think they're right with God. They think they're saved and they're not because their life shows no fruit of the gospel. Alive faith always, every single time leads to good works that glorify God because God gives it for that purpose. 
and produces the works with it. And what I mean is God produces the good works by his grace. James used Rahab, very interesting use, from uh, Joshua 2 to make the same point as Abraham. Rahab parallels Abraham. When Rahab hid the spies, uh, her faith was confirmed. She loved God and she proved it by hiding the spies. Hebrews 13, uh, or 11, verse 31 says, By faith Rahab, the prostitute of all people, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, the prostitute, had faith, and her faith was active when she hid the spies, God's men. She had a live faith. A prostitute can have a live faith. And repent of her prostitution and trust in Christ. James capped it off in verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We are body and spirit. And if you take our spirit and you remove it from our body, our body is dead. There's no life in us when life is not in us. The Penryn Cemetery is filled, think about this, with spiritless bodies. They're dead. They're not doing anything. They're just laying there. If you take faith and you separate it from good works of obedience to God, you have dead faith. There are church-going people who sit in pews week after week, year after year, and their faith is dead because they do nothing for God. They have no works to evidence their faith. They might do religious things. They might go through the motions, but they can't do anything that actually builds someone else up in the Lord. That's not what they're living for. They're not contributing. Listen to how nicely Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 complement James. It's almost as if James and Paul agree. Hmm? All right, listen to this. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. That's saving faith. And that's saving faith alone. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Not a result of works. Not a result of works so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship, oh, get this, Christian, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only does the grace of God save you, dear Christian, but it lays out for you these amazing works to do. That means God has something for you, Christian. And if you're one of those that's like, I just don't see that I have any gifts. I just don't know how I'm going to contribute. Oh, don't you do it. God has something for you. You can contribute because that's what God wants you to do. Saving faith is by grace alone, but saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by good works, which God also gives to you. This is theologically precise. This is theologically precise. And right now your head might be spinning And you're like, I I don't know. Hopefully it's not. And I just want to say, Pastor Jesus needs to teach this to you. You, The the Holy Spirit has to help you get what James is saying. I I can only take you so far. Um, And I hope that your faith is alive and not dead. And that it's active 
and not inactive. You don't want dead faith. And Jerusalem Church, we don't want people to have dead faith. We want them to have alive faith, active faith, so that they get the joy from serving God because using your gifts for God is just awesome. I love it. You want alive faith that does, that works to glorify God because that kind of faith and that kind of life is filled with joy. All right. How to be confident your faith is alive. I just want to boost you here. Number one, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe that? After 92 sermons in John, can you honestly say, I believe? Pastor, thank you for the 92 reminders. I believe. And if your yes is authentic, my friends, then you'll be able to answer number two with a yes as well. Number two, are you regularly doing things that help others and point them to Jesus. I'm not saying just doing something. I'm saying doing something in a way that they know the glory goes to God. Very different. Are you bearing spiritual fruit, Jerusalem church? Jesus said good soil bears fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do, let's say it, nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How do you prove that you love Jesus? How do you prove that you're really on board? How do you prove that you're a disciple? You prove it by doing good works, by bearing fruit. James sounds a lot like Jesus. Here's another way to say these two points. Do you love God? People with a live faith love God. Secondly, do you obey God? People with a live faith obey God. I'm getting that from Jesus. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If love exists in your heart and it's real, you will obey Jesus. So if love for God, James, James is saying the same thing. James is saying the same thing as Jesus. He's just saying it a little different way. Now, as soon as I preach this, we're almost done, thank you. As soon as I preach this, some of you are likely to say, but pastor, I don't obey God perfectly. Are you saying, pastor, that my faith is dead? I know some of you are just going to, you're going to go there. And that's not what I said, but you're going to go there. So hear me loud and clear. People with a live faith strive for perfection, but never reach perfection this side of heaven. And though they offer imperfect obedience to God, they offer obedience nonetheless. Don't go to the perfection thing to get yourself off of the sin that you need to get rid of. Don't do that. No, no. Don't read something into what the Bible is saying. Believe the truth. You must obey. God accepts. Please hear this. God accepts our good works. As imperfect as they may be, he accepts it because his son is perfect. He accepts our obedience because Jesus was and is our obedience. Your imperfect obedience is acceptable to God because it is offered by grace through faith in Christ for God's glory. Now, my son Peter drew me this picture. 
All right? I'm going to end, end with this. Maybe this will drive it home. He drew me this picture, and I have it hanging up in my office at home. And um, if you look at it, it's kind of scribbly. It's kind of scribbly. The, the lines aren't neat and line up. But you know what? I love this picture. I really like this picture. Um, this communicates, this happy picture communicates to me that my son Peter loves me. And that he did this with me in mind. That the artist loves me. And so I joyfully accept this little picture from Peter. And I delight in this little picture from Peter because I love Peter. I love Peter. And I adore the one who made this for me. God commands you, dear child of God, to perfect obedience. Can't lighten that in Scripture. Be perfect as I am perfect. He commands you to perfect obedience. But God knows in his fatherly wisdom that you and I are weak and we're imperfect. We fall short. We color outside the lines. But he delights in our imperfect good works because we do them by faith in Christ and we do them because we love him. God delights in his children's good works. He loves his children's good works. You don't work so that your father can accept you. He already accepts you as much as you're gonna be accepted. In Christ, you work for a different reason. You work to show that you've already been accepted by God, that you've already been adopted into the family of God, that you already are a child of God, and you do good works because God loves you and you love God. You know your faith is alive when your life is producing good works for the glory of God and the enjoyment of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. And I just ask God that you will do an amazing work in our congregation to comfort and encourage those who have alive faith and to convict and enliven those who have dead faith. And so God, thank you for giving alive faith to our church that we are growing and we are wanting so badly to serve you. And I just pray that you give us the power to do so. All for your glory, for the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, God. Amen.